Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Fan Fuel. My name is Alex Harrington. I'm joined by Nathan Ball, as always, and today we're going to be talking about Formula One. It's back. This weekend will be lights out, and away we go across the pond in Bahrain. But first, we need to talk about this weekend's action in NASCAR at Atlanta. So, Nathan, I was not able to watch most of the racing this weekend. You were, so I'll let you go ahead and start. Uh, what, did, what did you see this weekend uh, from the doubleheader? Oh, man. Well, I thought there were two of three were good races in my mind, obviously. The truck race was probably the more um, tame race because it was just a truck race with Kyle Busch in it. And not a lot really went on in that race. Saturday was pretty eventful. Truex started eight. He started 18th. He went to the lead in 10 laps or seven laps. Correct that. So for a while, it looked like he was just going to run away with it. He got sent to the back at the end of the last or somewhere in the last stage. He drove all the way back up to second. And then once he got to second, he kind of just stalled out. So that was actually a pretty good race. Everyone's going to remember the fight more than anything. But... Yeah. And then Cup for me. People complain about the race. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, Larson had a dominant car. He led probably three-fourths of the race. And then the last green flag run, it looked like Blaney had a slightly better long-run car. So once Larson's tires wore down, then he really just started eating into Larson's lead, and that was pretty much over. I didn't. I didn't expect Larson to lose, but apparently he'd had he'd had issues with his tires being burned up and everything. So that was it was a good finish for a race that I didn't really expect anything to happen in. Yeah, um a lot of people were complaining about it online. They were talking about how much of a snooze fest it was and some people were debating whether or not it needed to be five hundred miles or not. But uh from what I saw you had a guy coming from a few seconds behind passing the leader and then going on to win and the only thing that i hear from fans especially on twitter is we want comers and goers we want tire wear we want this that and the other and you had that sunday and then you still complained so i'm a little bit confused on that part obviously i didn't watch the whole race i watched a little bit of that last run i think probably the last 32 or so laps but from what i saw it probably was just a typical you know, classic NASCAR mile and a half race. And I don't know what would be there to complain about um, because there was probably probably a little bit of pit strategy and stuff like that that went on because of the length of the last stage. And I wish I was able to watch it, but, you know, I guess you can tell me if, if, it, if it was as, I guess, as a nostalgic race as it probably was. Yeah, I thought it was very old school. I like the fact that Blaney was able to kind of close in on the long run. It's differences in tire wear was really showing because Larson said he would burn through his tires a little bit quicker than Blaney's was. And then once both their tires started to get started to get worn down, it looked like Blaney had the better car when they were both on worn tires. It's just that earlier in the race, Larson had got out to such big leads that he was unable to be caught. Whereas in that final stage, Blaney kind of kept him within three seconds for most of the race, and then once the tires worn down, they were they were more or less equal with Blaney's car starting to come alive. So I, I don't know. Fans always say, "Oh, oh, close racing doesn't mean good racing." And then when we get a race with big intervals, they're like, "Oh no, we want close racing." It's like I don't I don't, I don't know. know. 
I don't know, and I saw another comment, and I thought it was a joke that someone actually said this, but they said that it was such an embarrassment for Kyle Lawson to have lost that race after that big a lead. Like, no, it's not an embarrassment. He Yeah, he knows what he did wrong. He burned his tires up. Whether that was him or whether that was the car set up, that is for Team Hendrick to decipher at the yeah, I don't think at the shop. People like, always just say, oh, Kyle Larson choking but I honestly think it's just because there's always a very vocal crowd that's hated Kyle Larson well before last year. I mean, how I've even had friends that are the same way that used to tell me this, like, oh my God, Kyle Larson's the most overrated driver on the planet. He's nothing. He's not that good. And then now he's coming out with pretty much the fastest car every single week. And it's like, yeah. You know, and he's never had people, that. Right. And it's like, People are like, oh my god, now he's a, he's back to what he used to be. He's a choker. And it's like, people have to realize that you're not going to win every single race that you have a good chance to win. That's, it's part of, part of the process when you have a car that fast. It's when you, you're not going to be efficient at first. Look at Ryan Blaney last year. He probably, he was the same way. He had the fastest car in pretty much all of the first five or ten races. And he didn't win a single one of them until Talladega. No, he didn't. Won. So yeah. you think of it that way, and it's like, you're not going to win. You're not going to bat a 1,000 straight out of the gate with a car that fast. You've never had that before. And right. I look at Hamlin 2020. He had a car that could win literally every week, and they said that winning seven races wasn't enough. They said they should have won more than seven. That's just part of the process. You're not going to win every single one. and. I think that, yeah, it was obviously not a good way to lose. I wouldn't want to lead three-fourths of the race and lose either, but that's just part of it. I've heard Larson say numerous times that he doesn't like to lead races because it's harder for him to lead a race than it is to hunt somebody down, apparently. Well, yeah, and then also you've got to think from Larson's perspective, too. Right. He came from dirt racing. So what do you do in dirt racing? Well, in, in sprint yeah, cars, which is, which is predominantly what he does, is a 35-lap race. So it's balls to the wall, get across the finish line first. And yes, he's been in the Cup Series for quite some time. Yes, he's gotten wins on two-mile tracks where he's had to conserve either fuel or or tires at points during the race. Yes, he's got experience doing that, you know, right. since he's been in, in a stock car. But it's just a learning process with having a car that fast. He's never won a 500-mile right. race, and I think that's actually the closest he's came to winning a 500-mile race. And now... Homestead, he had another issue similar with deviation of lap time. Is in like his first lap on fresh tires was a huge difference from his last lap on old tires. And I think part of that is just learning because he's he said it before that he needs a rabbit to chase. So when you're when he's leading a race, it's probably a lot harder to to gauge how fast you're going yeah. and what you need to do and right. and all that There's stuff. No but that's when you're out that far and it's just. I've, I've always had the same thing. It's like, I can't lead a race in anything, whether it's a video game, a kart race. I'm like, I, I can't do this. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's another thing that, you know, I hear fans talk about, well, the race should have been 100 miles shorter. Well, first of all, you're going to get a 400-mile Atlanta race in July, so just wait for that. Uh, and secondly, the 500 miles, that extra 100 miles than your typical one-and-a-half-mile race is what set Kyle Larson up for not winning that race, right? Because yeah. we know he yeah. wasn't going to have the longevity. Miles, chances are everyone would have known the outcome. Yeah, he would have probably been... Because that run been... was just long enough 
for his tires to really hit rock bottom. Right. And for Blaney's car to come alive. That's exactly where Blaney's car was the best at the end of every run. And, and I, that's the thing. I don't, I don't, that's why I don't agree with the armchair drivers saying that, you know, oh my God, Larson should have easily won the race. It's like, now that he said that he burned the tires off the car, now it's like, okay, now I understand why he didn't win because he pushed too hard too early into a run. And he'll know that for next time right. as well. And so if he's as adaptable like as we think he is, he'll he'll yeah, be fine the next time. On Twitter telling him to get good, and it's like I don't know if I would tell a guy to get better if they're already the fastest guy every week. Like, right, you don't and like guy, that's probably not the brightest thing to do to tell him to go faster. Yeah, and, and then I mean, just in general, like the guy's one in literally everything that he's put his you know strapped belts on to you know he's been the chili ball champion he's won in sprint cars he won his second race in a super late model like come on guys um kyle larson knows what the hell he's doing and sometimes it takes a little bit to adapt to new surroundings and when you go from a car that's averaging 20th to 25th and then and then you make it a top 15 car and you go into a car that's equipment that could be considered top 10, top 8 equipment, even if you would consider the five car the fourth tier team of Hendrick going into this year. He's a step up. He's never had this good of resources. He's never had this good of equipment. So it's going to take him some time to rein himself back in to see what he can do with the equipment so that he doesn't overdrive it because yeah, he's got really. he's got that fire under his butt right now because he's got something that he can do all this with. He's just got to learn to control it. Right, because I looked at statistics and loop data, and they said that the fastest laps, he's had like 330 fastest laps, and the next best guy has like 180, which is unbelievable. It's like, he's so, it's almost every lap, he's the fastest car on track, and it's just. Hey, he's dangerous. Kind of a, yeah, it's a natural product of like, this is what happens when you take a guy that's used to running back half top 10 to a car that could win a title and it's like okay that's it's i think ryan blaney had the same kind of thing last year with when he got todd gordon at the start of last year they were the fastest car for a good chunk of the first half of the year and not a lot of people remember it right and we see him come out and win this 500 mile race this year and everyone's talking about oh well he's only won once every year he's only going to want to win once this was his only win maybe not because now that he's learning how to rein himself in it's gonna be better yeah i think he's gonna be a threat to be in the final four this year after what i've seen i mean at, yeah, at the moment darlington and the road or not Robles, sorry if he can get through darlington and richmond i think he'll be, he'll be set for a pretty good next few tracks yeah i mean at the moment i think he larson and then maybe true x and hamlin are going to be your final final four right. right i would agree with those are probably my early picks but i mean i think so we still got 30 races left. Larson, so. Yeah, Larson's probably the only car with winning speed every single week, whereas everyone else sort of has, like, they'll finish, they can finish top five every week, but there aren't many cars that can win every week. Definitely not. I think he and Hamlin are going to have a similar season that Hamlin and Harvick did last year, and I can't wait to see it. But also, I also want this of new winners to continue and i don't know if we'll have that 
you know, five or six weeks from now. But hopefully we can have 13, 14, maybe 16 plus winners like we talked about yeah, in I our think, preview episode. I think the biggest thing is whether or not if Hamlin can start, if Hamlin can win, start bringing winning cars to the track, then I think it's going to be, that's going to curb 16 winners. That's going to hurt the progress real fast. But as Hamlin said, the problem with his team is that they're the most consistent team out there. The problem is they just don't have fast enough cars at the moment to win a race. You know, Truex hit on a setup last week. He won. Bell hit on a setup a week at the road course. He won. Hamlin's had consistent speed to finish in the top five. He just hasn't had a car that can go out and win a race. And I think that if they're able to start doing that, then they're probably going to win more than one race, chances are. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's not a bad problem to have because at least you're going to be consistently finishing top five, which he's done all year. Right. You don't have the checkers. You don't have those five bonus points, but you've already kind of Getting, set yourself apart. as Right, definitely. And plenty of people have had that problem this year, especially at the start of the season with yeah. that lap 15 crash at Daytona. Yeah, you look at all the guys that haven't won a race and – I think that, yeah, Kyle Busch and Truex are similar boats, except for Truex to got to win. But those guys, they've had one good car that they brought that can win the race. It's just that Hamlin has not had that one good car yet. And I think it's sort of very similar to the start of 2018 for him, where Hamlin would finish in the top four like every other week. Yeah, and all you guys that were complaining about Larson's lead today, I, I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to be uh... – ready to watch you cry when uh Hamlin's team does hit it because it's gonna be it's gonna be an ass whooping like Truex did at the six hundred a couple years ago just because he's already that good and he hasn't had that fast car speed like Nathan's talking about. But um you said a little bit earlier there was a bit of controversy on Saturday. Um of course everyone was complaining about Kyle Bush being in the truck series but there was a lot that happened in that Xfinity series. Um, aside from the great three and four wide racing and and Truex being in the race and Allgaier holding him off, we saw two big polarizing things. And we talked about it a couple weeks ago with Colton Cranmore. Splitter versus grass. Part 3,600, you know, XXX, whatever. I just think of Andy Petrie saying it's a real dur- durable piece. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no. man, that did not, man, that aged so poorly. I, I just, I don't know. I My only thing to this is that if you're not going to get rid of the splitter, then put the money into turf. If you're going to get rid of the splitter, then put the money into advance. You have to do one or the other. Neither's going to give. You have to do something. Right. Well, I've seen a lot of people talk about how the splitter is necessary because it keeps the front end on the ground well you know drivers can figure something out the teams can figure something out if we take downforce away from the front let's take downforce away from the back and just stick the valence on there chop the shark fin in half chop the yeah it's like i don't chop the uh spoiler off a car do a wheelie with a valence you've never seen it so no and and the argument makes no sense to me and he looked like he could he could have won one of those bouncing competitions from the guys that that put the shocks on their cars and try and get yeah. the verticals over nine feet. Like he could have he could have competed in one of those competitions when when Josh Berry hit that uh, grass. Uh, but another thing he said was was spend the money on the turf. And we saw 
Charlotte Motor Speedway do that when they upgraded the Roval and everything like that. As far as I know, they spent $1.4 million on the infield turf. So the question is, is it worth all these racetracks to spend that much money to save the team's money? Or is it something that the teams need to lobby the tracks to do so they don't have to spend as much money in the shop on Monday? Well, it depends. Uh, part of me thinks that the next-gen car is probably already built with a splitter in mind. I don't know if it's the same type of splitter, but it's still a splitter. So I'm thinking, uh, I'm just thinking that something's got to be done. Like money's got to be spent. I don't. It's gonna be spent. There's no way around it. But I do right. think it's a worthwhile cause to whatever works to prevent cars from getting destroyed is is a worthy a worthy spending. Well, I mean, even looking at the next-gen car, I mean, we saw this in an Xfinity race. So how is that going to help the Xfinity and truck teams? Um, you know, we see in ARCA, they've got a pseudo-compromised splitter-slash-valence hybrid because they've got the Gen 6 body style with the the little scoot-out where the splitter would be with a valence kind of riveted on there so i don't know if something like that would be possible for the xfinity and truck series because like you said the next gen car is going to have a splitter it's going to be a little bit different um if the drawings and everything that we've seen so far um on track are all thing i think they have a like a half inch to two inches gap of air on everything except for like where the where the fenders go in towards the wheel wells and that's on the ground so I don't know. You dig into that, your right front corner panel is going to be gone, which is, I guess, better than total in the car, but it's still not getting there. So, I don't know. Do the do the tracks have the money to just go out and 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 do a a million or two dollars to to get rid of the grass? And then a track like Atlanta, who is hosting Supercross in a couple of weeks, as long as well as Daytona, who's hosting Supercross. Um, they're going to have to spend more money to put up boards and stuff like that. Um, or, or whatever they do when they do it on the arenas with the turf as well. So I don't know. It's a big question and uh, it's, it's definitely for people higher up, uh, than us. But, uh, the other controversy from, from Saturday was kind of two and threefold. And as always, it involved Noah Gragson. Uh, but this time it involved someone who we didn't expect, and that was Daniel Hemrick, and they got into a scuffle. So I know you watched everything live, and I was just kind of monitoring stuff on Twitter. So can you kind of describe what happened? Yeah, well, something happened, and that was both of the cars. I want to say Daniel Hemrick overshot his pit box because he had to get around in a car that was kind of crooked. So he slid a little bit into Grayson's pistol. Gregson was kind of crooked, and Gregson backed up, and he backed into Hemrick's car, which put a hole in his nose and almost ran a guy over, if it wasn't for right. the JRM guys kind of tapping other guys, hey, look, get out of the way. Um, so after the race, Hemrick wasn't really happy, ran up to him. That was the controversy, because you know how it is. No, Gregson's a very polarizing individual. Um Right. Like, you know, the people that are with him and say, hey, he's the personality NASCAR needs. The people who don't like him are going to say, hey, look, that was over the line. And it's just like, there really is no way to talk about him without arguing, is there? No, uh, no not really. I mean, yeah. he, he, uh, 
tough. He's. I don't know how to. I'm, I'm leaning so many different ways with him. It's like one day I want to like him, one day I don't. It's just. I like the tenacity, right? I like the aggression. I like. I like the villain aspect of him, but I also hate the fact that he's. He's kind of just condescending when he talks about situations. He doesn't accept responsibility. Um, like he just put down David Starr and Carl Long at Homestead. You know, he denied accountability in the fact that he reversed into Daniel Hemrick on purpose when Daniel Hemrick comes back and says, yeah, that's exactly what you flipping me off while you backed into me, uh, indicated that it was an accident. So that's up for debate, but doubling down and tripling down on these things, it's, it's, it's very annoying because I think Noah can be that villain that NASCAR needs, but he's in his head so much that he's making himself out to be more of an ass than a villain. Yeah. It's, I think that's the problem. I don't agree with the idea that talking about someone is always good because sometimes you're going to get talked about in a bad way if you do something bad. And I just, I feel like the accountability has got to be the biggest thing. Okay. It's sort of like a young, uh, almost like Joey Logano. Maybe a little, a lot more aggressive, obviously, but I think it's just like a matter of whether or not he's going to learn from it or he's just going to use it to build his brand. I mean, it'd be very easy uh, to build his brand. I mean, this is the second, maybe even the third scuffle he's gotten to after a race with another driver. I guess polarity that he's bringing to racing is definitely bringing eyes on him which is going to help him with sponsorship down the road but you know at some point he's going to have to rein himself in um and get those results on track otherwise he can talk all this game but if he can't play it he's not going to get a cup series ride and everyone who's saying he's the villain that nascar needs um is going to have to be disappointed because he's just going to fall out of the sport so i think I think there needs to be a little bit more hands-on um, development with Noah in his personality to kind of rein him in while keeping that tenacity so that he can focus a little bit more on winning a race rather than saying, oh, this guy's in my pit box. Let me back into him. Because had he not done that, we wouldn't be talking about this, and he probably could have had a pretty good race like he was having up to that point. I agree. It's just a difficult difficult thing because from what it seems like they're almost enabling encouraging him to behave that way these fans and stuff but i that's like i don't see how that would help i i don't know i go back to that episode of dale jr download earlier this year where dale jr said we want him to to kind of get into this stuff and learn where he can and can't do things that way he can kind of mature himself but i don't know this is the second time in three or four weeks where we've had a controversy based on his attitude rather than something that he's done on track, which last year, the Myatt Snyder incident, he got into it with Harrison Burton at Kentucky. Like He's there, but he's going to have to start proving himself on the track if he's going to do all this stuff off track. Otherwise, the sport's going to leave him behind, and I don't think any of us want that to happen. 
I agree. So, with that being said, I guess we're just going to have to let it play out because we're definitely yep. far from done. Yeah, well, we've got a whole season of Xfinity to look forward to. Sadly, they won't be on the dirt this week at Bristol because I think that would have been uh, a, a great place for the 18 and the 9 to get into each other at a track that nobody knows what they're doing on and a short track at that. So it would have been fun. But something else that's fun, uh, the world's premier motorsport is back. Finally, we saw testing earlier this month. We are motorsports fans. You are passionate about Formula One, I'm a casual fan, um, but I'm I'm ready for 2021. So let's let's talk about it. Well, yeah, we've got ten teams, um, not the same ten teams uh, as we had last year, as some of them have changed names and some of them have changed drivers. Um, so you will just want to do a rundown of everything and then kind of get into. So yeah, uh, I guess do you want to kind of run down for everyone? who's on the F1 2021 grid and where, Nathan? Yeah, let's just start with the guys that stayed in the same places. Yeah, uh, okay, we can do that. Uh, So Mercedes, you know, they've been around with Lewis Hamilton winning championship after championship, it seems, for quite some time now. And they'll have their secondary driver of Vyotry Botas with them. And um, I think you said they've been together since 2017, so... Not much has changed, and I don't think much will change. I think it's the best seat for both of them, unless Vialtri can find somewhere else in the future that he thinks he can go and rival a championship against Hamilton for. Uh, another another team that's staying the same, though, is Alfa Romeo. We see Kimi Raikkonen still coming back yet another season uh, in the Alfa, which is, I think, good for that team um, because you got that veteran kind of leading the way. And then Antonio Giovinazzi. Uh, And then we move on a little bit down, and we've got Williams with George Russell and Nicholas Latifi. And I think that's about all of the teams that stayed the same from last year to this year. So uh, who are you looking at? uh, Which team or which pairing are you looking at kind of right off your bat, right off the bat? Out of the ones that stayed the same, I'm probably looking towards Alpha again, just because I think that Raikkonen and Giovinazzi are very close over the last few years. I think that for his age, Raikkonen's still getting the job done. And like you said, he's very good for that team because he's very no-nonsense. He gets the job done. He shows up. You know, he's a very low-maintenance guy. I think that his influence is going to help that team a lot as it already has. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, but I, then again, I think Giovinazzi is starting to piece it together year after year and it'll be close again. It was really close for the last couple of years. I just don't know. It's just interesting to me because everyone always expects the young driver to win, but in this case, it's kind of going both ways. Right. And I think that's good. Cause I don't, I don't know that a lot of our listeners uh, so far have been kind of into Formula One yet, but uh, when you watch a Formula One race, it's a little bit of a different style of even watching than it is uh, when you see NASCAR because you've got 20 cars on the grid and you've got two cars per team. 
and you'll see sometimes you see team orders sometimes you don't and if the front three are running away with it there's a lot of close battling going on in the midfield even more so these two for the last couple of years have been have been fighting amongst themselves which is something that formula one has always been entertaining to me for is just watching to see who can be better in the same car yeah i agree especially it's a very fun aspect of the sport um no motorsports really like that in the same regard to where teammate competition is so important for a driver's career. Yeah, because you always want to be that lead driver. Um, at least that's what the Formula One games have told me. Uh, so, yeah, um, every you you, you want to be the lead driver as much as you can. Yeah, because it, it seems like you're going to be the guy that gets to help develop the car more towards your suiting uh, than than the other guy and. You'll take a little bit more focus by the team, and maybe the pit strategies will be more in your favor than the other driver, and and it can be a very good bonus to go out there and beat your teammate to show them that hey, we're I'm your top guy, and you need to be on my side rather than the other side of the garage, so that so that we can go out and get more points for the team because I'm gonna do better than him him anyways. Yeah, I would agree. And with that being said, do you want to talk about the teams maybe that had major changes, such as Alpine and Aston Martin, for example? Yeah, and something about those two teams, um, if you just look on the surface of their names, they didn't exist um, last year. So I'll let you take head with Alpine, kind of explain uh, who they were last year and why you're excited about their driver lineup. Yeah, well, first of all, they've spent the last several years under the typical Renault name, which is their black and yellow branding that's been in F1 for years now. And they had Daniel Ricciardo as their lead driver. Um, now that he's moved over to McLaren, this was gonna. This was obviously one of the more controversial things about last year is that they somehow managed to get Fernando Alonso back when no one really thought he would come back to F1. So that's that's gonna be pretty big. Because he obviously, as you know, he's very controversial in F1. I'm obviously on the side of liking him. Many people are not, which I'm very well aware of at this point. Um, it's going to be interesting because I think Esteban Ocon is pretty underrated as a driver. I don't think that he'll be, I don't think that it's going to go as many people say. People are like, oh, he, you know, Alonso's going to kill him. And, Honestly, I don't think he will. I think Ocon's going to hold his own. And it'll probably be one of the more interesting teammate comparisons over the year. Well, I mean, Alonso is a world-class talent, no doubt. I mean, he's he's won um, at Le Mans, and he's competed in the Indy 500 and led a lot of laps uh, in the 2017 race when he was there. He's done plenty of other stuff outside of Formula One, but he hasn't been in a Formula One car for, what, three years now? I think two, because I know that he did test an F1 car in 2019 for McLaren as part of his deal as an ambassador. But as for racing, he did not. In the last three seasons. That's going to take a little bit away from you, and his age is going to take a little bit away from you. I mean, we see guys like Kimi Raikkonen, like we talked about earlier, coming out here and and duking it out uh, with his teammate. I don't think Fernando, in my opinion, and you might disagree with me, um, I don't think he's out there to win a championship. Definitely not this year. Um, oh, yeah. But I think it's 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 going to be very good for 
Alpine to have him as someone who can shake their cars down and kind of even mentor Esteban Ocon well enough so that if they keep him once uh, Alonso's gone and no one else steals steals Ocon from him, um, that they'll have a caliber of driver who not only has raw talent but has been helped uh, and shaped by Alonso, who is someone who is pretty damn good behind the wheel of a race car, and I think he's pretty good with setting up race cars as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. I think that his main strength isn't really necessarily setting it up. I think it's just driving it. He's one of those guys that can pretty much get in any car and drive it well. There doesn't seem to be a kryptonite for him as there are for some other drivers, but I, I'm i thinking that he made this entire decision to go back to Alpine based on 2022 because he wants a new shot and a new cars. So I think this year is kind of just a, a learning year because they know that they're not in a favorable position right now. The 2022 is their one chance to really see if they can start competing for podiums. Right, and that's going to be hard, especially in this era of F1, where it's basically Mercedes and Verstappen the past couple of years with a little bit of different stuff sprinkled in depending on you know the volatility of each race weekend. So I'm looking forward to it. They've, you know, they've got a good set of drivers. Esteban Ocon was afraid that he was going to, you know, lose his spot in F1 a couple of years ago, as we learned through the Drive to Survive series, and and now he's back with one of the greatest drivers to ever walk the earth. So I mean, they're do- they're doing something right. Yeah, it's it's dependable. I think that they're going to be fine as a team. It's just a matter of what other teams do. I think they're improving. It's just a matter of how much everyone else around them improves. Well, we've got um, more of the midfield that have swapped around, and one of those teams is Aston Martin. Uh, We know that was Racing Point previously. Before that, it was Force India. And uh, Lance Stroll's father comes in, basically brings in the Aston Martin uh, deal and everything. And so they're going to have a new engine supplier, and they're going to have a veteran driver in Sebastian Vettel as well, who's not too shabby. I mean, four-time champion. He never really did much, in my opinion, at Ferrari. Uh, I don't know if that's just because he was competing against Mercedes or if that was a Ferrari thing, Um, but it'll be interesting for me to see how he does in a new space because sometimes it seems like drivers going to a new team works well. I mean, you, you saw that with with even Alonso um, at Renault compared to his tenure at McLaren the first time. Well, I think with Vettel, he's sort of the one driver that sort of has to have all the stars aligned. I think it's sort of different. You know how Alonso sort of extracts the maximum out of any car that he gets in? Yeah. I don't know that for a fact because we haven't seen this year yet, but I think we've seen it at a time with Vettel. He's really, really good whenever he's in a situation that favors him. But whenever you're in a situation that's kind of unfavorable to him, that's when it starts to confusing as to whether or not he's going to win or lose. You know, it's, it's almost like, it's like, it's almost like there's two different medals, but 
I think this year will be a lot better for him than last year was just because the car will probably be a lot more stable, probably a lot more, uh, a lot more reliable, maybe not reliable, but a lot more predictable than the Ferrari was because that car was evil last year, as you saw. Yeah. So I think that I don't really have any worries for him personally. I think it's just a matter of putting him in the right situation. He'll be fine. Just don't take him out of that or else you have problems. Yeah, we saw actual uh, strides from that team last year. I don't know if it's if it's just because they had the copycat car or, or whatnot, but, you know, they, they did have a couple glimpses of pretty great races that they put together, and his teammate Lance Stroll surprised me last year because I thought he was just a pay driver. Turns out he can actually drive a race car. So I'll be looking forward to see what their progress is this year. Yeah, I'm interested. It's just going to be really, really interesting because it's Vettel in a new new place. And as you've seen over the years, Vettel in new places is always unpredictable. But I do think that he'll be fine. Oh, yeah, I have no doubt. I mean, the man's a four-time champion, so obviously he can get it done. He's one of the ones that's getting older in age, but sometimes, like I said, new new places can, can boost you up. Um, so, you know, hopefully it'll be fine. I'd love to see kind of a, a new shape of Formula One where we get a little bit more into parity with a lot of different winners, kind of like we are with the NASCAR season this year. Um, because it's just been handbot Ver for so long. Yeah, well, speaking of Ver, uh, Max Verstappen joins Red Bull for yet another year. Not surprising. He's been with them since 2016. Uh, but a new move into a better place for someone that I don't think anyone saw coming. Uh, if you'd have said this at this point last year that Sergio Perez was going to be in a Red Bull car, I'd have laughed at you. Um, so what are your thoughts on Checo uh, getting a shot in a top three ride? I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I like seeing him in a good car because I think that out of the midfield drivers for the last few years, he's always been the guy that sort of gets the best out of a, a car that isn't necessarily capable of winning a race. And he's very consistent. He's not the outright fastest guy, but he's very consistent in getting his results in the race. And I think that, that's really big for Red Bull because if they want to guarantee second place or better in constructors, they're going to have a second driver that that can consistently score a good finish and collect points. And he's also capable of winning too, and that's a huge step up because now Red Bull's got two drivers that can win races. Yeah, and I don't think that I can say it better myself. Um, I've loved watching him race. Uh, he's just always been that guy that's kind of been there been in the midfield like you said um i remember when he first uh came out uh at, Mc at mclaren i was like oh this guy's gonna be the next big thing and then he kind of fizzled out and just became that midfield driver so i'm gonna be looking to see how having to race drivers week after week unlike the top three to five cars do every week gives him a better advantage over the guys that just check out and clean air each week. So that's what I'm excited about with Checo at Red Bull. And he and Max are going to be, are going to be a good, 
a good rivalry as well as uh, we were talking about with Giovinazzi and Raikkonen. Um, I, I think they're going to be surprisingly going more toe-to-toe than, than a lot of people will think. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. I don't think the qualifying battle is going to be that entertaining. I think, obviously, Paris is not really a Saturday driver. But I think Sundays are really going to be where the fun begins because, like we've said, he's a Sunday driver. He won't necessarily be outright fast in qualifying, but in a race, that's where he shines. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah, and Sunday's the one that pays the points. So uh, it'll be good to see Red Bull having a couple drivers that can duke it out. Uh, Let's talk about a former Red Bull driver. And that's Daniel Ricardo. Of course, he spent a couple seasons at Renault. Now he's moved over to McLaren. He will be with Lando Norris, and he takes the seat of Carlos Sainz. Do you think this is an upgrade for him, and do you think it's an upgrade for McLaren? Yeah, I do believe it's an upgrade, a slight upgrade, because I think that Daniel Ricardo is obviously one of the better drivers in the field, probably top five. So... It's sort of a no-brainer to me. They needed a sort of A-lister driver to get in there because Sainz is kind of unproven. Well, I wouldn't say he's unproven, but he's sort of an unknown commodity because he hasn't been seen in the top car yet. But Ricardo has been seen in the car that can win races, and when he is in the car that can win, he does win. So I don't see any reason why they shouldn't have gotten him. Yeah, and I think... He moving to Renault was something that I was really disappointed in because I kind of wanted to see he and Max grow as rivals at Red Bull, but he chose not to do that. He chose to go do his own thing. I don't know that Renault worked out for him. They had a lot of issues with engines and stuff. He had glimpses of good finishes here and there, but McLaren's a solid team. McLaren's a team that's been there for quite some time, and having the resources that they do along with a teammate like Lando, who is a bit of a scrapper and kind of a jokester just like Daniel is, I think they'll be able to feed off of each other um, and push each other in a way that's more healthy than the traditional teammate rivalry. Yeah, definitely. I agree with everything you said about the team rivalries. I I, I want more of it. We haven't seen enough of it, not enough one. Yeah, and another another team that's going to have something like that is um, Ferrari. We see Charles Leclerc returning and the Spanish driver of Carlos Sainz coming on board. And I'm a fan of Carlos Sainz. And ever since the podium at Brazil that he had, where he came from the back to finish third, I was like, okay, this this might be my next my next favorite driver coming up. And... I think it might be the guy that I'm going to focus on uh, this year. You know, I know you're an Alonso fan, but I think Carlos Sainz is going to be a guy. He might not be the best guy on the grid, but he's going to be someone who's going to be there each week and be trouble for those top three guys. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me because I'm not sure how that's going to go. It could go either way, I think. It's going to be tough. I think Leclerc's probably one of the three fastest drivers on the grid right now, despite his relative inexperience. But Sainz is probably one of the most consistent on the grid, so it's going to be a very good matchup. If if Sainz is able to 
put up well against Leclerc, I think that's going to say a lot about him. I think he will. I don't think there's many drivers that can go up against him because you saw what Leclerc did to Vettel last year. Oh, yeah. But that was... Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, the the relationship between Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel was kind of a roller coaster of emotions, and then the car itself was just absolute garbage last year. So I don't know that even looking at Charles Leclerc and his finishes last year are even worth evaluating. I mean, I mean, I if, if Ferrari... Because, because oh, I will raise you one thing, is that Alonso had the same kind of issue with Ferrari in 2014. They kept building cars that got worse and worse and worse, and he was threatening to leave the team, and he still beat Reichen in 17-1, to 1, so I, I feel like Vettel, no matter how difficult it was with the team, it doesn't, he still has to show up every every week, and I think that's where it kind of went awry. You know, I think that Sainz, he's going to have to show up if he wants to beat Leclerc. He's going to have to put points on the board every single week, and I think it's just it's just a matter of doing that because Leclerc obviously made a lot of mistakes last year. Even though he was very quick, he did make yeah. a lot of mistakes. So if Sainz is able to take advantage of that, then it'll probably be a lot closer than we think it will be. Yeah, and and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it. It's gonna be a a lot easier for both of them if Ferrari brings uh, the car that they need to each week. Obviously, reliability and stuff, I don't want to be a part of any of these battles. If you're going to be in a car that's not reliable, someone who has that consistency, like Carlos Sites, is going to easily outpit someone who's just, you know, out there being bad fast and, and, and getting into that, I guess, trouble area of pushing so hard that you make mistakes. So... It'll be an interesting battle to see. Um, there's a couple more teams that I want to talk about, obviously, because there's a couple more teams in the sport, um, and that's AlphaTauri and Haas. Um, not really much to say uh, for either of them uh, from my perspective. Um, I do not know much about Yuki Sonoda, so if you want to comment on anything regarding that team, I mean... I, I don't have anything really to say. I mean, Pierre Gasly is Pierre Gasly. He's going to be consistent. He might be there um, to get a podium or even a win should the stars align. But other than that, they're they're just kind of a field filler team for me. Yeah, I would probably say Sonoda is really, really highly touted from his junior career. So I think it's going to be big. There's a lot of hype around him. So... I'm expecting him to do well, just based on what I saw from him last year. So, I just hope that he makes my hype look smart. Yeah, let's hope so. I just, I don't know. There, There's going to be a lot of cars that we're going to have to see hybrids of being midfield or not. Because they're either the slow part of the midfield or the fast part of the midfield. Um, I don't know. Are we going to see... That Formula 1.5 battle that we've been seeing, or are we going to see more top-tier teams? I don't know. That's where I'm at with this season because it seems like there's a lot of good drivers and cars that could be good, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah. I'm very curious just to see how everything plays out. It's going to be quite interesting because I expect Sonoda, if he 
lives up to the hype. He could probably be a lot closer to Gaston than people think. Yeah, and then you've got the other team, and that is Haas F1 with Mick Schumacher, who, of course, is Michael Schumacher's son driving. So it'll be cool to see a Schumacher back on the grid. Um, But I don't know that Haas is really that decent of a car to where his talent is going to shine, despite the fact we all know that Mick has the talent to go out there and win Formula 1 GPs. I don't think he's in a car that is realistically able to do that, though. Oh, of course not. I think that's going to be pretty interesting because he and Mazepin are going to be in probably one of the slowest cars in the grid, if we're being honest. And I would say that the on-track battle between Mazepin and Schumacher, they're still going to be pretty close, I want to say. Like, people don't necessarily want to admit it, but I do believe that it will be close. Um, it's just... I don't know. I don't know what to predict. I believe that the fact that they're both in the current car is going to make it a lot more interesting. Yeah, and uh, of course there's a lot of controversy surrounding Mazepin. We won't get into that on this podcast. Uh, So I guess since we've ran down all of the teams and all of their drivers, why don't we get into what we think of their paint schemes? I guess let's go ahead and start. Let's do a rundown of the paint schemes and yes. Uh, oh, excuse me. Did I say paint schemes? I apologize. Yeah, I say, look, this is just gonna be a fun part for the viewers because I think that the NASCAR side is gonna say paint scheme, the other side is gonna say livery, and it's just I'm kind of I, I could say either. It doesn't bother me. It's just it's fun because it's fun. I just like hearing people argue over it. There's nothing to argue about it for me. I'm American. I've been saying paint schemes forever. They're not even painted at this point. You know, most all motorsports cars are going to be right. wrapped before they're painted anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I guess oh, we'll use... <laughs> yeah. Final schemes. Doesn't that much of a ring to it, does it? No, not really. That makes me think of floor laminate or something. I will give you my top three liveries of 2021. Which, number one was kind of tough. I'll admit there were two that were really, really close for me. And I'm going to have to go with the Alpine because it's blue. I like blue. It's I, I, it's always how it's been. I, like, I can appreciate a good red car, but if you nail a blue livery, then that's 100% where my mind's going to go to. So I think that there really wasn't anything that could have competed with the Alpine for this year, livery-wise. I wish it would have been completely gloss blue, but they ended up using like a matte metallic finish, which still looks great. But overall, probably give it like an eight and a half out of 10. It's one of the better ones I've seen in years. Number two would probably be the Alfa Romeo. They've had probably one of the better liveries in the last three or four years, ever since Sauber switched to Alfa. But this year, they really did it nice. They sort of inverted the red and the white. And it's very simple. Nice deep red, white. Very, It's almost very old school compared to the cars that we do see nowadays. And then number three would probably be McLaren, just because it's orange. I've always liked orange. I like blue. You put the colors together, they look good to me. So it's as simple as that. Yeah. I, I myself, I like simple schemes. Um, so I'm going to be kind of partial to the mclaren myself i love the yeah. the vibrancy of the orange and blue it's it's 
it's probably my favorite. I, I do like last year's better though. Um, adding the the rainbow colors on the fuselage was pretty cool. Um, it just made that scheme pop a little bit more. Um, had a little bit of meaning to it. Secondly, I like the Ferrari. I don't know. It's just that classic red that you've always seen for the whole time that they've been in Formula One, other than a couple of seasons. And I don't know. I like I like simplistic cars. Um, I know it's been polarizing because the Mission logo is green this year. Yeah, that's a little weird. And you know, looking at it. It's it's weird. I think I'll get used to it. It doesn't bother me, but it's it's not it's not that true, you know. Red or white or like a black. Or yeah, logo. yeah, that's what makes sense. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm not necessarily a part of Tafosi, so I'm not gonna be too bothered by it. So I, I don't know. It it was an interesting choice to make it green. I guess to make the make the emblem itself pop. Um, but you know it's. It's a classic scheme. They've they've been sponsored by UPS and Shell for quite some time, so I'm used to seeing them. They they always do something that like, looks good. Um, and contrary to my um, talk about loving schemes that are nice and simple, uh, Williams' scheme is a little bit busy, but for for whatever reason, I love the colors. I love the light blue on the dark blue and and the and the bit of orange. I guess in the same same line as the McLaren car, but the stripes. I don't know. They do something for me. I don't know. That car just looks really good, and I think it's going to look even better on on track. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to disagree on this one. I'll really? Give you my three worst deliveries starting up okay. right now. With that being said, number one, I'm gonna have to go Williams. I just I I don't I don't know how to even judge it. Like it's so completely different than anything I've ever seen. It almost it almost reminds me of like when you're in the when you're in the paint booth for the F one games. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah, why that's I like it. Like, yeah, it's like it's confusing. Like I don't know how to say it's good or bad. I just I just don't know how to judge it. It's weird looking. Like, I think that's the one thing that's knocking it down so much in my book. So, other than that, it's tough. I guess number two, I'd probably have to go with the green Mission Winnow logo Ferrari. Um, yeah, not necessarily know. the green logo. I just think the back of the chassis has, like, a darker shade of red, which is kind of odd looking because the Mission Winnow logo on the rear wing I think one of the commentators remarked that it almost looked like it was dirty. So I was kind of confused. I wish that it's not a bad looking car. So I don't really, I kind of grasping at straws because none of these liveries really look that bad in my mind. I just couldn't yeah. see myself like I couldn't see myself buying a die cast of one, if that makes sense. So I guess if it probably would have been a lot higher in my book, if, if they just kept the same shade of red the whole way through, and they need to go back to gloss red. Like, it's like, there's nothing better than a gloss red Ferrari. And yeah, I'll agree with three, that. I don't even have a number three for worst liveries. So I maybe the Mercedes. I, I'm not a huge fan of the silver back on the the silver 
on the end of the chassis with like the AMG logos kind of copy pasted everywhere. But yeah, I mean, it looks good from the front, so they kind of tried to just mix it up a little bit, I guess, from from the Silver Arrow and the Black Arrow uh, from the last couple of years. But I, I still think it it carries the same uh, sort of feeling as I got last year when they unveiled the Black Arrow. I mean, the the silver part on the back, it it could go without being there, but it's not disrupting the scheme for me. I think the only scheme that I don't like is the Aston Martin scheme. And, yes, I just, I don't like it. You know, Force India into Racing Point, we saw that BWT pink and all that, and I, I realize they might not be as big of a sponsor now as they were, but they're still on the car. I would have loved to see basically the same livery as the last couple of years, but just throw Aston Martin, uh, or I should say British Racing Green, in one of the panels and just call it a day because I loved seeing that pink car out there. Oh boy, and, it's a tough one for me because I feel like I really love British Racing Green. That's like one of the, one of the colors. I'm not like a huge green person, but I do like the color. I just wish that it was just the only thing that sort of knocked it down a peg is like the pink accent. I wish it was sort of more one or the other. Right, and I was if it was like, like half and half, it would be it would have been fine to me. I don't know if you if you could have had. If you'd had that, that BWT scheme that they had last year, you had the white stripes with pink on one side and the British racing green on the other side. I saw plenty of concepts when when the Aston Martin stuff was just a just a rumor, and it looked fantastic. So I'm, I'm really disappointed in that scheme. Um, but other than that, I, I don't see anything that I don't too much dislike about this year's F1 grid. Um and I'll go ahead and say that there's been a little bit of controversy um, with the Haas F1 team's livery, but I'm just going to say I like it, uh, despite um, the fact that what it may or may not represent. I mean, you can look at it, you can tell it's based off the Russian flag, but if if you just take that sentiment away from it, it's a damn good-looking race car. Right. It's just, I think, the meaning behind it is sort of more intrusive to its actual looks as a livery. Yeah, because it works, and I love the fact that they've got the number in the circle on the fin like that, because it's more of a classic-style look. It's simple, it's got three colors, but it works. Um, so, I don't know. Um, well, now that we know a little bit about the teams, what we think of how the team's cars look... Um, how do they look on track? Because I have not really paid attention to testing. Um, I don't usually, just like I said, because I'm a casual F1 fan. I just watch for the races and sometimes a qualifying session here or there. Um, but how much information can you really gather uh, about the speed of each team from testing? Uh, because it seems like there's a little bit of, of controversy over whether some of the teams are showing their true skill or not. Yeah, I think it's not. I don't think it's really fair to judge the team's speed off of testing because there's so much programs being run. Every team is being a little different. So I think that people are saying, "Oh, Red Bull are the favorites." I think they're. I would not say that this early, at all. Well, I know they had a lot less testing this year. They only went to Bahrain. Usually, they go to the Circuit de Catalunya, or they go to Jerez for a couple of days at each place. So, did they have? 
more to do in less time, or do you think that some of the teams, being that we have such a long season this year, took the fact that we only had three or four days of testing to just kind of lay back and make sure everything worked and they didn't go 110%? Yeah, I would agree. I would not. I don't think the teams went 110% in that test. There's a lot that's unknown. Yeah, and one of the unknowns is um, Mercedes has been struggling. Uh, You told me when we were discussing this before we started the recording that they had had a few spins in testing and and a little bit of struggles like that. Um, And, I mean, to me, testing is is going to be where you're wanting to make your mistakes. That way you're not, you know, making them, especially on race day. Um, but it seems that a couple of the drivers, uh, Sainz and Verstappen in particular, call a little bit of a red flag on Mercedes talking that they've been talking about how they've been struggling. Yeah, they, I'm surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised because even if Mercedes is being honest, I think that they could still fix whatever problems they have in a matter of a few races or less. So I don't want to say it with Mercedes is that their teams have done this numerous times where they would say, oh, we're not the favorites or, oh, insert team is faster than us. And they always end up winning. So right. the fact that their staff and signs don't believe them is not overly surprising. It's just interesting that they basically straight up said, yeah, we're just, they're literally laughing at them. Like, There's no way it's true. So I think that they're sort of like the boy who cried wolf almost in that sense. Yeah, I don't know if that's such a bad thing for Mercedes. I mean, it's not really a good example of trying to toy with your competition when they know that you could just be blowing steam. But at the other hand, if they are telling the truth, we're like you said, we're talking about a team that that has won – championship after championship after championship so even if they are circling they'll iron it out um and f1 threw a loop at them in particular uh based on the DAS system that they had last year where they would pull the steering wheel out to straighten up the suspension and warm the tires up before the race so i don't know if maybe their mistakes were because of that because the front end of the car wasn't as warmed up as they thought it was or or something along that lines i i I don't know I mean, is there really anything that you can get out of preseason testing other than, yay, cars are back on track? I, yeah, I believe that's the only thing I can gather from it. I don't want to make any sudden judgments about their performance because the, everything that's going to come out will come out in qualifying. It's not coming out now. Yeah, and that's something that's a little bit different uh, since they actually have qualifying procedures, unlike um, us over here with NASCAR not having them. As we'll, we'll we'll see this weekend on Saturday at Bahrain, just where everyone's at, just based on you know single lap speed and qualifying, and we'll see what push comes to shove on Sunday's race. Um, but before we get into the weekend preview, what are your pros and cons of the season this year? What are you looking forward to as far as the calendar? It's twenty three races long at the moment. Um, and what aren't you excited for for the 2021 F1 calendar? Okay. Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm very glad at the number of races that's coming onto the schedule. I really appreciate that. That being said, 
the only con I could really think of is the the layout of the circuit in Saudi Arabia. I'm just not sure it's going to put on that exciting of a race. Just after watching the video of what the simulations look like, it, it looks like there's no there's no areas where you can actually set up a pass. There's no heavy braking zones or anything like that, other than just one or two. And that's really about it. Like I'm fine with new tracks coming on. I just think that they have to be good tracks. That's it. I don't think there's anything else to it. Yeah, and that's other something than... that's been a a problem kind of lately in the last 10 years or so where we've got all these tilky drums coming out and something that I'm excited about with this season is that if you look and see how many racetracks were designed speaking of those type of tracks that's the standard tilky drum thing where we say that the racetracks aren't that good because it's long straight heavy breaking corner and then some squiggly bits in between um, but we've only got seven Tilkadromes on the schedule this year. Um, I'm not really counting uh, the redesigns of Silverstone and Paul Ricard on that, but you know, tracks that I just hate, like Russia, you know, are few and far between now. Uh, we've got a lot of a d diverse schedule. I know you said you don't like the Saudi Arabia GP circuit, but it's kind of I mean, I know it's a street course, but it's kind of flowy and kind of a, more of a classic style racetrack, so I kind of respect it, but I don't... It just won't work with the current cars. I think yeah. if the car that wasn't so difficult to race with, it'd probably be a lot better. Yeah, and it might be a, a good track for, like, GT racing or something, but definitely not modern Formula 1s. Um, but, you know what? Bahrain is a great track, and we're going to be starting off there. Imola is back yet again. Um, going to to Portugal for another round. That race was pretty great last year. You know, I I'm looking forward to the schedule. There's only a couple of races that I look at and I'm like, yeah, that's probably gonna be a snooze fest, and I could put those all on one hand. So that makes me excited for the 2021 season. Yeah, I'm very happy about it. I think it's going to be an interesting year. I'm liking. I'm really liking diversity for the F1 schedule. Yeah, and reshuffling the dates of some of these tracks is is going to be interesting as well. With Australia being at the end of the racing season rather than being the track that we start the season on, which I have been used to since I've been been watching. So that's going to be a little bit different for me, other than the you know the couple of years that Bahrain had it. Um, at least they're taking it back to somewhere that's already had an opening round and not just throwing us for a whole loop and going somewhere like Spain or Abu Dhabi or somewhere like that um, that I don't think would get a lot of hype up. Because Bahrain is a pretty decent circuit, and it usually puts on some pretty good racing. And as far as talking about Bahrain, let's go ahead and start with our weekend preview. And, of course, we'll be in Bahrain for the season opener for Formula 1. Um, you kind of wanted to talk about some of your favorite Bahrain memories and... Okay, so I would probably say, I'm heavily biased in this, but I think 2010 was probably my favorite Bahrain memory. Um, obviously the circuit was a little different, so wasn't necessarily as exciting of a race as we've come to expect there over the course of the last few seasons, but it was 2010, 
I believe Vettel had some sort of alternator failure, which was one of his many reliability problems that year. Vettel allowed Alonso to come through, win the race, and he was one of six drivers, I believe, to win for their debut for the Ferrari, and he's the last guy to do that to this date. So that was one of the coolest things for me as a kid is getting to see that because that's pretty much how I associated F1 in those days. When I was little, Alonso was a Ferrari driver, so that was really uh, that was really cool for me because I was that was one of the that was one of the races I could remember coherently at that point, despite my age. Yeah, and uh, that's about the time that I got into Formula One as well, because I really didn't get into Formula One until the Codemasters Formula One 2010 game came out. So I can definitely say that I wouldn't picture Alonso as being someone who was driving for McLaren or Renault um, prior to his stint at Ferrari, because I just remember him being in that red car as well. Um but for me, one of my favorite memories uh, was the 2014 race. And I know you and I had discussed about the battle for the win, but I think one of the greatest parts was when Esteban Gutierrez flipped. Uh, that was just something that, that I can think back on and, and, and laugh about because of just how comical his, his car just bounced into the air and rolled. And and it's kind of might be a little bit of sadistic because someone could get hurt in something like that, but... That's that's one of the things that I think of when I think of Bahrain, and then and then something else was was last year when when F1 went and raced there two times. Of course, the second time they raced there, it was it was on the outer circuit, and I thought that race was incredible. It had a lot of attrition, and it was just something new because there was really it was basically an oval with a little bit of breaking and chicanes mixed in and i thought it was a wonderful race and i'd love for them to add that race as a staple on the schedule going forward but i don't think a lot of people will like that yeah i think that would be pretty interesting to me i'm not sure if the race was like would have been super super interesting if not for the whole uh pit road thing with mercedes but then again it's a cool track i really enjoyed the layout so i do hope it comes back yeah, and I wouldn't mind if Formula One messed with some of these facilities and, and ran different layouts. You know, maybe one year they run the national circuit at some of these tilkadromes. Uh, just like that 2010 race where you said at Bahrain they ran the uh, endurance uh, layout, which is a little bit different. Of course, that race definitely didn't live up to standards, otherwise we'd still be racing that layout. Um, but it'd be cool to see... Formula One play around a little bit more, but what are you looking for this weekend as far as who is going to come out strong out of the gate, who's going to win pole, and who are your podium drivers? Okay, well, I think Hamilton has not won an opener for the season in a long time, but that being said, I think he'll come out, he'll win the pole. I think that on race day, it'll be pretty interesting to see what happens, because I think Whichever Mercedes can get off the line first is probably going to be the favorite to win the race. But if Mercedes' struggles do last longer, if they last long enough to affect the outcome of the first race, then I think Verstappen will have a serious chance at winning. It just depends on the gaps between Red Bull and Mercedes and whether or not they're too far one way or the other. So I think that it's either going to be two Mercedes and Verstappen or it's probably going to be 
shoot. I feel like the one biggest contender for a podium outside of Mercedes or Verstappen is probably going to be um, Daniel Ricciardo. That's my that's my uh, number one non top top two team pick. I think. Okay. Uh, for me, I think I think Verstappen is probably going to be the one to come out, and you know, Red Bull's kind of shown shown their um shown their strengths in testing a little bit. Um, whether or not that uh, is whether or not that bodes true for the season is is yet to tell. But I I think Verstappen is probably going to come out and win the pole. Um, but I don't know. You said one whoever from Mercedes gets out front is going to win the race. I I don't see. Botas um, winning the race. I think it'll be Ham Ver, and then I think depending on strategies from the other race teams, and if Ferrari actually brings a a good car or not, I think it's going to be between um, Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc for that mm-hmm. that third spot on the podium. Yeah, those are pretty good picks too. I was kind of debating between Perez or um, or Ricardo. I just went with Ricardo because I think that Red Bull is typically a team that the drivers take a little bit to adjust to. So that was the only reason why I picked Ricardo. So, well, I'm excited about Formula One racing coming back. Um, the more racing that I can soak in, the merrier. Uh, and I'm sure you're under the same thought process as I am too. So we'll just have to see when the lights go out um, on Sunday what happens. And, of course, we will recap it uh, next week. Uh, But other than that, we have something that we've discussed a lot on the podcast. We've had pretty polarizing ideas about this race so far. Um, But it's finally here. Inevitable has happened. It is Bristol Dirt Weekend. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. It's going to be a mess, but it's going to be fun at the same time. A glorified shit show is is still a shit show. I don't think it's going to be good for racing's sake. It's going to be good because it's entertaining. And I feel like this is the meme where everyone says NASCAR is just the WWE of motorsports coming to life. I'm disappointed, but at this point, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I think it's going to be confusing for me at least because the format, I looked it up and I'm like, I have no idea how to even make sense of it because I'm not a dirt person primarily. Well, I mean, okay, so to explain it easily is the way you can look at a heat race is duels, right? That's all the duels are, they're heat races. You you go 150 miles, where you finish is where you start. Um, the only difference here... The top two or the front row won't be locked in as far as I know. And we'll have four of those races rather than two. The thing that's kind of confusing, I know they're going to have passing points. And I'll I'll tell you like it is, Nathan, the way that they've described it doesn't make any sense to me. Because when I look at passing points for other series, that's not how they are. Because it looks like you're just going to earn points based off of your finish. But... It doesn't, that's not a passing point because you should get a standard amount of points for where you finish if you finish lower than, or I should say if you started higher than where you finished, you get that base points. But if you started lower than where you finished, you get a 
a bonus point added to those standard points for passing cars. And so a guy that finishes second but started ninth will have more points than a guy that started and finished first. And I I don't understand why they're going to line up the feature this way. I don't like passing points. I think they're ridiculous. I always have. Uh, we will have a discussion with my father next week when we have him on the show about passing points, and you'll probably laugh your butt off at the rant that I did about them a couple years ago. Um, but I don't know. I, it's confusing to me, and I'm someone who's used them before. Uh, so I can see where you're confused. Uh, but the good thing is we don't have to worry about it because they'll just line up Sunday for 250 laps, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be fun for me because I'm not a primarily dirt person. The only experience I have with dirt is watching, like, Joey Bull streams and mainly the outdoor truck races up until this year. So I think it's going to be a learning experience for me, at least. Yeah, well, the good thing is um, we're going to have a lot of on-track action this weekend. Um, we've got the trucks there as well. So they'll have four heats and a 150-lap feature. But we're getting practice back. So... We'll be able to see cars on track on Friday, and that's something that I'm excited about, and I hope that you're excited about too, because it might seem rudimentary, but practice is one of my favorite things about race weekends. Yeah, that'll be fun for me at least. That being said, obviously I've got like schoolwork and all kind of stuff, so I won't be able to see all the practices, but at least I'll be able to know what to expect in the race now, which... And it's going to be really important, especially for the drivers who haven't been on dirt before. But Saturday, there's going to be an invasion of the truck series with 8 to 10 cup guys. And entry lists looking at 44 trucks, but they're only going to start 32. And I'm excited about it because that means 12 drivers are going to miss the race. And that comes out to three drivers per heat race are not going to be in the main event. Are you happy about that, and what do you think about the cup guys running the trucks? I'm honestly fine with it. You know, if the guys want to get practice, and let them have it because I don't. It's a unique situation that hasn't been encountered before, so I think it's there's no harm, no foul. Yeah, and I think it's it's a good thing, and this kind of brings up the debate of whether or not cup drivers should be in the lower series, so I'll just go ahead and just piggyback off the fact that we're talking about it. I'm excited because we're going to see a bunch of top-tier talent mixing it in with guys who are in the third tier of NASCAR and seeing just where their talent is, and we're throwing them in on a wild card with the dirt truck race. So I I don't know. I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to see guys that have never been on dirt like Daniel Suarez come in there and get some experience for the cup race because he's going to need it. I'm excited to see people who have been in dirt races before like, like Newman um, and, of course, like Larson and Chase Briscoe. Um, but... I'm really excited to see Bubba Wallace return because one of his truck series wins was at Eldora. So I'd love to see him repeat and go get another shovel, I guess, if they're doing that same trophy. Or I'd like to see him repeat and and get another win on dirt in the trucks just to shut down some of the haters. Yeah, that'll be kind of cool. Um, 
I'm not really sure what to expect for trucks, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be a madhouse of a race. All I'm going to say is pick you a good seat on Saturday, turn Fox Sports 1 on, and just relax, order you a pizza. If you're old enough, you know, well, I'm not going to say that because you're not 21, so I can't condone drinking. <laughs> um, Yeah, all I'm going to say is on Saturday, find you a comfortable seat and turn the TV on and watch the world explode because it's going to be great because the heat race is for Cupper on Saturday as well. And though I don't think we'll be sending anybody home, it's it's going to be a pretty damn fun night. Yeah, I'm very excited for the entire thing. It's just going to be one of those weekends of where nothing productive is going to be done in Miami. I'm just going to watch the race. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, Sunday, we're going to see 250 laps. It's going to be during the daytime, and it could potentially be a dust bowl uh, based on some experience from myself at dirt tracks when you race in the day. Um, Do you think if that happens, it's going to be a bad show for us on TV? Because I, I don't know. Some of the truck races got pretty bad. During the first couple of years where you could barely see anything. Um, how do you feel it's going to impact fans that are tuning in for the first time this weekend? Um, if they're not even going to be able to see the cars if it's a dust bowl. Oh man, I'm not sure. I think that visibility shouldn't be that big of a problem, hopefully. Based on, I know obviously the dust bowl effect was a lot worse at Eldora because I thought it was a smaller track. But then again, I don't know anything about dirt, so... Well, sure actually, actually, Bristol and Eldora are the same are the same length. What? Yeah, they're both a half mile. No way. Yeah, the only thing different is I would say it's kind of like looking at Atlanta versus another mile and a half, where Eldora and Atlanta have really long turns and really short straightaways. But yeah, they're both a half mile. I never knew that. Yeah, so it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a really similar race. Uh, for the trucks to what we've been used to. Um, it's just you're adding 100 extra laps on that cup race. And, you know, while we talk about endurance earlier in the show and how we like it, that's a long-ass dirt race. And I, if the track prep's not good, we're, we're, we're going to... Yeah, I hope the track prep's good. We're going to be seeing potholes. We're going to be seeing dust everywhere. We're not going to be able to see the cars. The spotters are going to have a, a, a bad go about it. Um, and you know what, whether or not the track prep is good, I'm not looking forward to the fact that Sunday's probably going to be a caution fest. Yeah. I'm just hoping there's not too many caution laps, but I don't have much faith. So I think that there's going to be a lot of caution laps run. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that fans are going to love the race, despite the fact that it irks me that we're doing it in the first place. I'm sure that it's going to be one of the most entertaining of the year despite the fact that it's not going to be based on the race's merit, more as the race is just going to be total chaos, which, you know, I'm a fan of chaos. Maybe not engineered chaos like this, but we'll get to it. Um, But, I mean, I guess with that all being said, I don't know if I necessarily have an advantage because I've been around dirt racing my whole life, but considering that you have a 4-2 lead, in our Cup Series picks, I think I might want to believe I have an advantage this week. 
Really? Because of the dirt? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, okay. Last no. last week you 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 beat me yet again, and uh, like like early in the race, I'll let you handle what happened between our two picks because I wasn't able to watch the race. Yeah, Kruex and Kazowski made some pretty significant contact, and Kazowski had nose damage, which pretty much relegated him to running around in the teens for the rest of the day. So that being said. I would say it was sort of like pick-on-pick violence for us. Well, um, I mean, you won, so don't be too violent with me when you go ahead and make your pick. All right, I will go with the lowest hanging fruit possible, which is Kyle Larson, because I don't know enough about dirt to make any educated picks, so I'm going to have to go with Larson. Okay, well, I thought you'd go there. I really did, and I think this is going to be the race that is going to be the one where we have a repeat winner for the first time. And I'm going to go with the next lowest hanging fruit, and that's going to be the 20 of Christopher Bell. I think those two guys are going to be up there squaring off against each other like they've done so much in the past at the Chili Bowl and at other dirt racing events. And they're going to be the class of the field, and it would just make my day to see Christopher Bell be the first multi-time winner of 2021 because that would be something that no one thought was at all possible going into this season yeah i'm gonna be really excited for it i think there's probably gonna be some non-dirt drivers that do surprise us i would probably say kidlowski is gonna surprise maybe uh kyle bush will surprise based on how much dirt vehicles he runs even if they're not the same as a stock car but i think it's gonna be Really, really weird race, but I would obviously, yeah, I'd expect Larson and Bell to be the favorites. Well, I mean, some other guys that you don't really hear much about that that came from dirt uh, would be Chase Briscoe and Ricky Stenthouse Jr. for me that I feel like are going to be able to capitalize on this race as well. Uh, And like you said, Kyle Busch, he's ran quite a lot uh, lately. Uh, Chase Elliott has been running this past week. Uh, I believe Stuart Friesen's going to be in the cup race as well, which he's a dirt modified guy uh, before he is a Camping World Truck Series guy. So that'll be a good fit for the race. Um, If I look at it from the outside, I'm excited for the race. But if I look at it from a point of view where a 250 lap race with these heavy cars is going to probably tear or gloss over and turn into an asphalt race anyways... It's got me a little bit scared. But there's a lot of stuff that could go wrong, but there's also a lot of stuff that could go right. And I hope it's a better show than uh, most of us negative Nancys expect. Yeah, I'm very excited. All right. Well, I think that about wraps up the show. Uh, So, as always, you guys can follow us at FanFuel.com. Podcast one on Twitter. That's capital F, capital F, and capital P, with the number one at the end on Twitter. And please, you know, follow us, comment on some of our posts. You know, send us a PM if you think uh, you want to be on the show with us, or any thoughts that you have about current news in racing of all kinds. Just at us on your tweet, and we'll probably wind up talking about it on here. Um, other than that, Nathan, you got anything else to add for before we go tonight? No, not really. I think the only thing that's going to happen for me this weekend is sitting on the couch 
eating food, watching races. Right, and I think everyone listening should be doing the same thing because it's going to be a good one. Uh, But with that being said, you guys have a good one, and we will see you next time.